0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Arjun shares his path from a top undergraduate university to a quant role that also gave him exposure to some fundamental investing. We learn about his short stint in venture investing and why he jumped back into a quant role at a bulge bracket investment bank, as well as the programs and skills needed to land these competitive roles. Enjoy. All right, Arjun, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: So it'd be awesome if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Definitely. So um,
1: I graduated uh, from, uh, from undergrad with a major in math and a minor in computer science. And uh, originally, uh, you know, wanted to do something in the public markets. So I started with uh, a big asset manager uh, here in New York, where I spent a couple years out of school doing uh, a mixed, uh, a mix of stuff, including both uh, fundamental TMT credit investing and also some more quant related stuff, a little bit on the discretionary macro side, fixed income side. And then uh, after that, wanted to try something kind of at the earlier stages. And so spent a short stint with like a, a VC here in New York, just kind of trying out the early stage investing space and then went back into uh, quant stuff with, uh, with a bank on their investment management side. Uh, doing kind of more traditional stuff and like equity derivatives and fixed income. And then after that, wanted to push back a little bit more into the early stage space. Um, and, and especially with the advent of a lot of interesting alternative data being applied there, uh, have been you know working with a couple of different firms uh, involved in uh, the venture and growth stages, just trying to figure out ways to, to bring that data into their investment processes. Um, and I've also kind of gotten back into a master's program uh, in uh, in data science
0: to to kind of
1: deepen that skill set here in New York as well.
0: Yeah, so you're basically in the one space that n- has no demand at all. No, just kidding. It's <laughs> like it's exploding, right? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of stuff happening both in the private markets, which I mentioned, but then also data science stuff in the public markets is getting really big, both at banks, hedge funds, asset managers. Um, and, then, uh, and then obviously like in, in tech as well, just – increasingly like engineers are, are having a really deep data skill set um, to bear in, in addition to like whatever traditional engineering work they would have been doing
0: so let's let's go all the way back to undergrad just to s- the start of your story you went to a top school majored in math, why would you torture yourself? I mean, I, it's funny, because I had a physics teacher, he's like, you should major in physics. I'm like, I'm not smart enough. I'm gonna major in physics, just because I did well in the like the entry level course. Um, What convinced you to put yourself through such a rigorous, you know, it sounds like you do a lot of computer science as well. Is that something that your family's always been into? or, Or you just gravitated towards
1: it? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think, so my parents um, themselves, like, weren't super mathy, uh, but uh, kind of going farther back, actually, my my great-grandpa was a math professor uh, back in India and in Burma, interestingly, like, back, yeah, in, in the British colonial era, but uh, so I, I have a little bit of math in the family tree, but for me, uh, the interest in math kind of um, came from a few different places. I, I think what really appealed to me about it was just that it's the most kind of fundamental form of reasoning in a lot of ways it's like really digging to the to the foundations of any field like what you see is like math at, at the, the root of it um, right. whether it's like sciences social sciences or, or whatever else and so for me I always just enjoyed that process and I think I had my first exposure with like a proof-based um, kind of college level math class in high school that I took and uh, and for me that was just like super fun it was also super challenging I think like that was probably right. the most I've ever been challenged um, you know, in my academic career, was like getting over that initial hump of like, how do I do of this proof-based like, college-level math? But I think after that, I was just like so um, so enamored of it that I was like, I kind of, I, I really want to pursue this in my undergrad. And so, uh, so that's like what drew me to it. Um, you know, and I was kind of, I think, very idealistic for for my undergrad. Also, like I wasn't super interested in finance and tech. Uh, kind of at the start of my undergrad career, I was just mm-hmm. thinking mostly about like. Uh, You know what? What what do I want to do academically, and and what do I really enjoy uh,
0: in that in that sense? So, was it a specific uh, field in mathematics that you specialize in? I assume you had like a senior thesis of some sort, or no? Is that?
1: Um, Yeah, I did have a senior thesis. Um, I I was kind of without without
0: getting too geeky and going over my head. What was it? What was it? Uh,
1: It was so. My senior thesis was in fluid dynamics. Um, So Mm -hmm. we were trying to solve uh, some like famous fluid dynamics problems with like friction and stuff like that, but. Uh, but I mean, I didn't make very much progress. I'll say that, uh, <laughs> which which is okay for undergrads for the most part. Uh, more learning experience. But I, I was kind of a generalist, um, mm-hmm. regardless. Like I, I did a lot a lot of CS stuff, like I mentioned, um, and like some probability stuff, uh, which gets away from like more traditional like pure math. And yeah, uh, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, like I tried to take a lot of the core like analysis, algebra stuff that
0: comes from. Cool. as well. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I loved math. Um, but so uh-huh. you're, it wasn't as good at, at, as you were, I'm sure. But so you um, you kind of, when did you think, hey, finance is, is interesting to me? It was this junior year where you, did you feel late?
1: Yeah, I, I it's a good question. I kind of did feel late to be honest, because for the most part, I thought I wanted to go to grad school for most of my undergrad career, um, or potentially even like med school was something I was seriously considering. Um, just given that like my family is, is uh, actually in medicine, like for the most part. So, yeah. uh, so that was like where my head was for a while. But I think given that so many kids uh, at my school, which was like a target school for a lot of for a lot of financial institutions, were doing finance. And, uh, and like, it seemed like it was kind of interesting. You know, I could tell that interesting people that I knew were, were really passionate about it and, and, uh, and kind of about business more generally. So I wanted to get some exposure to it, I think. And like, I, I think my first experience was a junior year internship that summer after junior year. And and I went into the the recruiting process really haphazardly. Like I wasn't paying much attention to recruiting and networking and all the stuff people were doing. I was kind of like, let me just throw some stuff at the wall. And like, if something sticks, I'll, I'll do an internship. And if nothing does, then I won't. Um, but I I think I was really fortunate with my first experience because it was with a, um, with a sovereign wealth funds, um, kind of hedge fund investing team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was actually a really cool Starting point for me. I think it, it, what drew me to it was that I think the team was like really just intellectual Like you were looking at stuff at a really high level and I think the guys were like really really
0: sharp Um Was it so like it was long, long short or macro based or
1: actually it was it, it was very little long short their whole thing was that they wanted to find like idiosyncratic sources of alpha in public markets, right which hmm. Um, which I mean, it will sound familiar to a lot of listeners probably, um, like they, they, honestly, they kind of like summarily dismissed like pretty much any long short, like bitch yeah. that was coming in, in the doors. Um, yeah. and, uh, it, it was like, that was the summer of 2014. It was like the Argentina debt crisis was happening. Um, so there was a lot of like interesting calls with activists, uh, you know, around that whole situation and, um, you know, other, other stuff that was just more off the run, you know, like interesting uh, volatility, arbitrage strategies or stuff like that, where you had like a couple guys that spun up a fund where they, they wanted to like raise some capital to put like, you know, just a couple hundred million dollars to work, but they could, they could show us really good ideas, you know, at, at play. So um, so that was like really the core of what we are doing there. And I think that was exciting for me because I just got to see such a variety of like really smart and interesting um, hedge fund managers um, talking about their ideas. And I think that's what really, Motivated me to like try doing something in the public markets coming out of school. Um, I finally really understood the connection between finance um, as this like operating layer on top of the rest of business in a way where where you understand like what putting money into a different situation actually means on the ground, um, whether that's like a, an interesting debt situation or so, even like interesting kind of like growth situation, whatever case
0: may be. So, when landing that internship, I you know coming from a target school, obviously it's easier to land an internship in general, but was this an on-campus thing where you just started, um, did you just start basically blasting it to anywhere and this is the place that I happened to interview you and then were you ready for the interview? Did you go in or you? Uh,
1: honestly, pretty much that's what happened. Like I, in retrospect, like I was pretty fortunate um, that that worked out for me because like like I, said, I was, I was very haphazard with my recruiting. I, I, I was kind of like, like I said, if it works, it, it works, if it doesn't, like whatever. Was, I, your, I G,
0: was your GPA super high?
1: Uh, I think my GPA was pretty good. Like it was, it was above average. Um, not like exceptionally high Rhodes scholar or anything like that, but, yeah. um, but, but you
0: know, it was, it was above average. So you were uh, getting, you were getting looks, being a target school, tough major. I, I was getting
1: looks. I, I mean, I was definitely getting a lot of looks from like the prop trading shops and stuff like that, like just because I, I was kind of their ideal profile, just like a math yeah. major with some CS exposure. Um, right. And uh, and and so I got a lot of those interviews, but I, I didn't find it like I didn't find that stuff as exciting at the time, um, even though it was more mathy. Um, you know, I, I think I was more interested in trying to push a little bit more towards the fundamental stuff, which is why like this particular opportunity really stood out to me. Um, and uh, in terms of in terms of um, the actual like process with that firm, then I think one of the reasons why it worked out well for me um, was that they they were just very open-minded with respect to who, what kind of person they want. Like they wanted a kind of person who was like very much like a, a first principles thinker, uh, to use like that that catchphrase. Someone who would um, you know really pause and like try to figure out where you want to be in the market at a given time and and not just kind of follow trends. And I think that's what stood out to me about about uh sorry, sorry start to them about my candidacy was that I kind of came in with like a very open mind and uh was like very intellectually forward and honest in like all my exchanges with them. So uh pretty much any conversation they would have with me about like my motivations or interests or whatever, I was like very candid throughout the process. Yeah.
0: Say so you're, you're a genuine person. They knew you had the brights, but you weren't trying to BS them basically. you're, you're Yeah, tri- yeah, exactly. Like I kind of went
1: in and, and it was pretty obvious that I didn't know a lot about finance at the time. And I think, uh, you know, they were like willing to work with that. So, you know, a lot of my interviews were just like fundamental ideas in finance. They were just, that I'd never really been introduced to. They were just kind of having me reason them out. You know, like try to figure out what, why central banks should implement certain policies in different scenarios, right? Like, you know, I had taken like an AP macro class. That's enough to kind of like really yeah, parse that out and then like play around with different ideas about how different instruments should be affected in markets um, in different scenarios and stuff like that. That's, that's what a lot of the interview process looked like for me.
0: So, and there's, there's very little preparation on your end. It was more just like being like, Hey, here I am kind of thing.
1: For the most part honestly yeah <laughs> like, I, I would just show up and but, i, I
0: what gave that, you that what gave you that confidence man like w- was it because you just felt like well i don't even know if i even want to do this and so whatever or was it yeah. more like hey i'm doing well i'm at a target school like even if i flame out and i do nothing over the summer junior summer it doesn't matter
1: like what um I yeah honestly that was probably it was probably more of that which is not to say like i, I don't mean I like that sounds a little bit disrespectful maybe to like the the firm like I definitely don't mean for that to happen like be, No, be not sure disrespectful. That, that I mean getting, I, think, but, I think as uh, a young
0: as a young guy go- as a young kid I think oftentimes we are overconfident. I know yeah. I, I know I was yeah. like at I'm like oh, I'll have a job, you know, I got good grades and you know Yeah. like you're going to always be fine. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of that and like um I think I think that was
1: always my approach like especially in undergrad was like I, I was focused on the, the learning and focused on the fundamentals. Like I was like, let me make sure I'm covering my bases. And then yeah. kind of the stuff that comes on top of that, like I wasn't, I wasn't like super concerned about making sure that I was optimizing for my job search and stuff like that. So yeah. um, I, I mean, different people take different approaches to that. Um, for me, like that approach worked out in a lot of ways. Um, and I was fortunate that it did. Uh, but, you know, it, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach that
0: did your opinion change of that? Or like, as you started going through these interviews, did you start talking to more kids about like what you wanted to do? Or you were kind of like, okay, I know I want to be near public markets. And once you got an offer, that was it. Like you just took it or were you like shopping off? Like, were you getting multiple internship offers? Were you tell me a little bit more about like that perspective, how it shifted a little bit from from that. Yeah. I think
1: um, from that process,
0: it's super important, right? Like that's a super critical inflection point for a lot of like students is like that junior year internship. It's like a lot of them are like, if I don't get that investment banking job, life is over.
1: Yeah. 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 It's um, and, and, you know, it's definitely, it definitely helps to the more you can optimize for your interests sooner, the better suited you're going to be to pursue those interests. There's always like a trade off, right? So if you're someone who knows you want to do investment banking, like the sooner you can angle towards that, the better off you're going to be. I think in my case, Uh, you know, with that, just, I guess with that recruiting process, you know, I I was enjoying those conversations with the firms. And, uh, and, uh, you know, with that firm in particular, I was really impressed by the people I was meeting and excited Mm -hmm. about the learning opportunity. I think that's why I decided to pursue it. And then, you know, I think um, in in terms of internships and full-time opportunities, like senior year, thinking about how that, that balance works, like my experience was, um, you know, you know, and so I came out of that, like I said, wanting to do, more direct public markets stuff. And and so I didn't return to the, the firm after the internship um, and like kind of threw my hat in the ring for full-time recruiting that fall of senior year. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a little bit intimidating because you're going in, like a lot of kids are going in with the guardrails on in a sense. It's like they've got their internship figured out. They got their job lined up. They're kind of just going to hang out senior year, do their thesis, enjoy life or whatever. Um, for me, it was like, I was really like, Counting the pavement that fall of my senior year to to get in front of firms and to like have conversations with different alumni, like really doing a lot of networking.
0: So uh, it sounds kind of it fun. sounds like after that summer something switched, something flipped yeah. of like wait a second I'm graduating in the year and. Sure, sure. It, well, it, it
1: was and it, it wasn't. Uh, I think it was more that I had realized that this is more interesting to me than I thought it was going to be. Got it. Uh, and so at that point I was like okay let me pivot really aggressively, you know, instead of just like dumping in my grad school applications, i oh, right gonna off on that and, um, and really like go hard on this, this like finance thing for a little while. So, okay. And um, so did
0: you know before that, that internship in the summer that there wasn't an offer a full-time offer at the end of the summer, or was it something where they only offered it to a small percentage or.
1: Um, no, so there was the potential for a full-time role. Um, and mm-hmm. I think they, they usually, they would take interns like once every other year with the idea yeah. that like that could potentially convert into a full-time role, just cause they don't they don't have a ton of hiring. right? Um, and th- there was like a pretty strong alumni base from, from my school at that place as well. So um, so I was, it was one of the few firms, we were one of the few universities that they would recruit at. But um, I think for me, it was just kind of like a process of, of evolution. I realized like I didn't necessarily want to start out in that uh, kind of more endowment or um, more sovereign like institutional role. Um, so and, and and I think, you know, just with conversations with the people at the firm who I had good relationships with, so we were able to like kind of figure that out. And 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 I think for me it wasn't super exciting to to return to that particular opportunity. Um but uh, but you know, there's a lot of people for whom that that's like a, a great fit coming
0: out. Of so what were you looking more for? Like the more on the quant side?
1: Um, so, I actually was kind of split between quant stuff and fundamental stuff because I had seen like really exciting stuff that I thought worked really well um, in all of those spaces while mm-hmm. I was with that firm. And uh, but but what I wanted to do was more direct investing, if that makes sense, um, which is to say like less investing in other funds and like more investing in actual like strategies and securities, like coming up and generating those myself. Like that's what I wanted to do.
0: Got it. Cause it sounds like the in the sovereign fund that you were at it was a lot of investing in funds that were doing interesting things exactly exactly. and so you were doing a lot of research into the actual technology and or whatever strategy they were um, implementing versus actually um, deploying the capital yourself exactly yeah and um and and
1: and that's a great position to be in you know i think uh especially like on on the the wall street oasis forums and stuff like people don't necessarily um get as excited about that kind of Fund of funds role or that kind of like endowment or institutional role, but uh, but I think having then seen you know peers go on to other places like university endowments and sovereign wealth funds and stuff like it in um, in the you know subsequent years, it's definitely it's definitely a great place to be just in terms of getting to do a lot of that like really high level thinking um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a very intellectual space ultimately, right? Like you don't have immediate market pressures on your day to day but you're getting to think really critically about um, how those markets are shaping up and, and how you want to play in them. So, um, so yeah, it's, it can it's a, a very career. cool like, yeah. place to be in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It can be a great career. I agree. Uh, yeah. I yeah. think it does get a little bit of a bad rep because people are like, you want to be direct because it's tends to have more exit, you know, Yeah, yeah. stuff like
1: that. But. It's yeah. And, and I think, um, and, and, you know, there's something to be said for that. Like if you're someone who wants to maybe go into like a corp dev role at a, at a, Fortune 500 company or you know, that's it's it makes sense to like try to get some kind of skill set that that might be more applicable in those settings um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot of great great paths in that space.
0: All right so you end up hitting the pavement hard senior year you um, Start getting a bunch of interviews for mostly like quant oriented hedge funds. What were you targeting? Like it sounds like that's mainly what you're targeting but maybe a blend between the two fundamental. Yeah, yeah,
1: so I was looking at a lot of um, quant oriented hedge funds just because I think it's easier to demonstrate a skill set that's you know more attractive to people in those settings, um, which is to say, like if if you want to do more fundamental hedge funds, the, the investment banking route or or whatever makes it a lot easier to do that, just because then you have a really tangible uh, skill set for that. But I think the quant funds were more open-minded, right? If you can demonstrate that you can do XYZ. Um, they're going to be more interested in potentially hiring you. So what, what uh, was,
0: what was XYZ? Like, give me an example for the, list.
1: Uh, so XYZ means um, for one, it it means being good at like probability. Like they, I think that's, it's kind of like one tangible area of knowledge where everybody's got some exposure and you can create a lot of interesting problems. And um, and so there's a lot of questions people will ask that just test your ability to reason about like things probabilistically um, and yeah. like some basic stats tied in there as well. So yeah. that's, that's a big area. And then um, I think the other thing was just like coding skills. So mm-hmm. for a lot of places, it's like if you could demonstrate that you're just like pretty fast with Python or pretty fast with whatever... Particular scientific programming or, or other object-oriented programming language they're using, then um, they would be pretty interested in like potentially just hiring you. Just
0: Python or R, typically.
1: Yeah. So yeah, Python more than anything else. If they were looking for like specific domain knowledge, we're, we're R, releasing a R,
0: Python course soon on WSO. That's, that's <laughs> there great. you go. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, fun. I mean, I think yeah, pretty soon it's going to be like the new standard. I think like if you can't do basic data analysis in Python, you're probably going to be uh, Going to be scrapped for most jobs but yeah. uh but we're getting there i guess yeah and so r r also i think uh was there but just less so i think just because um r has always been popular with statisticians but um but just because it's it doesn't uh translate as well into actually like writing code and like systems
0: um you so know you have to do when, stories, uh, when you said this- that totally makes sense. So when you said in terms of the, the probability st- stuff, when you're saying like have a, you know, work your way around that, are there specific programs with that as well that you need to be familiar with? So the coding Python, maybe a little bit R, but mostly Python. Um, what about the probability stuff? Is there stuff, is there like a program that you need to be good with? Or is it more like, are they testing your, your quick math probability? Yeah, I would
1: say um, some of it is like quick math, but more of it is, can you, um, can you do a lot of the stuff that would be in like a basic, like undergraduate level probability course, like so, the factorial like, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's going to be a lot of like combinatorial kind of arguments about like <laughs> how yeah. many balls are going to come out of how many hats or whatever, and like um, and yeah, a lot of like conditional probability tricks and like expected values and like just a lot of those things that you would see in like a undergraduate level probability course. You'll want to really have like mastered that if, if yeah you if you
0: want that. to get a top 99th percentile on the gmat you, that's the top end you need to be getting those right yeah well, that, i remember I studying i don't that. know
1: too much about the gmat i don't want to say that <laughs> I mean, if you, no if you, you
0: were, do i i know i know that i remember those are if you're getting a lot of combinatorial and uh probability questions on the gmat it's a, a machine based exam you know you're doing really uh, well okay okay because <laughs> it gets harder Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I guess, yeah, that's a new thing, right? Like the
1: whole dynamic tests. I think that's like that now
0: also. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt um. So it makes sense. Okay. So you're, you basically, they want to see, can you do that, but that, basic level probability yeah. do you have the coding skills and then what was the last I interrupted you. what was the last thing or you- um, no,
1: honestly no i mean that's like mostly what it is i mean different firms will throw in different stuff or like have different ideas about what they want and cool. uh, and I, I mean the whole space of like just quant recruiting can be so um so much more varied uh than a lot of other more traditional finance roles that uh that it can be tough. But th- I mean, there's actually there's a lot of great content on the site, like people answering questions about how to share
0: those kinds of reasons. So can you educate that. me a little bit on the the kind of the the trends of high frequency trading versus like okay, so what you know the race to the bottom type of fu- uh, firms where they're just going for complete you know speed over um, over uh, something that a fund that uses quants um, sure, still uses sure. quants. Can you tell me like a little bit like what does it look like? like percentage wise in terms of capital being put to work or you know
1: yeah yeah so i guess um you know i'm not an expert on the high frequency space let me say because i haven't actually worked in like high frequency trading, but uh but i mean i can try to give like a little bit of a sense on that because uh, i mean high frequency trading is definitely like very popular for a lot of undergrads and it's like definitely very lucrative um in terms of like what what firms are doing but uh, i mean I, i think it tends to be the case that High-frequency firms are are going to be putting less money to work than a lot of these like big institutional like quant funds, especially like these quant asset managers that you know mm-hmm. have like billions and over a hundred billion or whatever under under uh, management in a lot of cases. So yeah, uh, so there's definitely a difference there. I think um, high-frequency has changed a lot in the last like five to ten years. Um, you know, the, the in the advent of high-frequency, which you can read about in like some of these famous books, like um, forget the name of the
0: the michael lewis's book yeah i can't remember it either flash boys yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean i think that gives a great picture of like kind of what it looked like in in the origin to some extent of of high frequency trading but um but i think things have changed a lot and just because markets have become so much more efficient and a lot of these things have kind of been competed and arbitraged away Mm -hmm. um you know my understanding is that like profits of like actually really shrunk in high frequency by like you know a factor of several times over um, yeah. but with that being said like i'm sure the firms that are doing well are still doing exceptionally well and uh and maybe you know maybe that like maybe that shrinkage doesn't even apply to them you know who knows like they they, they tend to be pretty secretive i guess it's such a black family.
0: yeah it's such a black box like you don't nobody knows yeah yeah and like so who are who are you, who, who are these firms you know i guess renaissance and probably does some of it and like, some yeah, some.
1: Renaissance, I guess like the other big names in high frequency are like, you know, HRT and like tower research, Jane street, a lot of these guys. Jane street. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like a lot of Chicago based ones that are doing pretty well. I think like Citadel security still was pretty well. Like there's, there's a bunch of new ones out there that cool. I'm like not super familiar with. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah. And, and I think that contrasts with a lot of the more, um, kind of like medium to long-term hedge fund strategies that, um, even when you look at like the two sigmas of the world, like they're, uh, you know, they, they tried to get into some more high frequency like prop trading stuff by like spitting up two sigma securities or something. It had some like unique name um, mm-hmm. that's like independent of their traditional like hedge fund operation. But uh, but you know, it's, it's tough to actually break into that, right? To like, to, to bootstrap that and get off the ground is, is a bit of a challenge. So uh, not anyone can just do it and so, um, so yeah, so like oh, it's a lot a of huge,
0: things. huge capital investment, right? For the for sure. And stuff. For yeah. sure. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's very intensive, like engineering wise, um, to like, you know, hire that expertise and then bring people on and then actually build the systems that are going to compete while actually then trying to like layer in some actual alpha on top of that. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty challenging. It's it's not a trivial undertaking, even for a firm that's as like good as Two Sigma is in terms of it's like, technical
0: depth and expertise and stuff. And there aren't like that. even that many seats, right? They're really looking for those like top, top experts. It's
1: yeah. Possible. Yeah. I think that's largely true. Um, but, uh, but I mean, again, like I, I, I don't want to pitch myself as an expert on how it's
0: no, fine. It's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it, I think it is true that, uh, I mean, these firms tend to be pretty small and you know, it's one thing even when you talk about the firm as a whole, right. But then you look at the firm and within the firm, there's going to be like one desk that's like really killing it on um, you know, like orange juice futures or whatever it is. Right. And, and, uh, and that's the the team that's bringing in all the money. But, um, but, uh, it's like these other teams are just kind of like there to try and fill the gaps and figure out how do we make money in this other market or that market. And so, uh, but I mean, there's exciting opportunities for sure. There's exciting opportunities in the space and a lot
0: of people are doing very well. Cool. So let's go back to your, um, your story. So you're at this, uh, at this large asset manager, basically right out of school, you, you ended up getting a job. Was it something where it was similar to kind of the, the internship recruiting process where you knew like this is, these are, these people are interesting or was it more like, oh man, it's winter. I'm graduating in a few months. Like I'm just going to take this <laughs> offer. Um,
1: no. Yeah. I mean, I, I was definitely excited about the opportunity. I think uh, it was pretty unique in that uh, like it gave me the chance to work both on the fundamental side and on the quant side. And I think that's like what really excited me about the opportunity um and so like i said like I, it was it, i was able to go in and like start with some discretionary macro quant stuff and then um and then also able to like switch um over to um do like the fundamental high yield stuff that i like thought was pretty interesting and, and like just try my hands at a lot of different areas um, And meanwhile also like try to be involved with early like blockchain efforts that the firm was trying to get their hands into And like early data science stuff that they're trying to um, put into practice So, um, so I think for me that was like a great opportunity just because like they had um, a little bit of everything that I really wanted to get my hands wet with starting out
0: How much Bitcoin do you own? I'm just kidding (laughs) Hopefully a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently, I have to tell the government
1: that now. So apparently, that's like the the new tax thing this year. Yeah, for
0: you have year. too much yeah. like the holdings. Um,
1: I you know I have enough. I have enough. You know I'll I'll keep, I'll keep what I got. So
0: <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, yeah. Probably a lot less than you. I'm sure you were buying it up earlier. Um,
1: uh, I, I mean, the cool thing actually was that I was getting into it just around with like the time that Ethereum was being um, launched, like kind of that late uh, 2015, early 2016 range, right there. So,
0: early enough, yeah. Before yeah. it exploded, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You think it's gonna? You think we're heading back up into a bull market now?
1: Uh, for crypto, you mean? Yeah, um, yeah, crypto in general. Yeah, you know, I. So I I follow the space less closely than I used to also, but I do think, um, I mean, I do think that like there's going to be persistent value in like Bitcoin and Ether for quite a while, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I mean, whether we're going to see like a quote bull market for crypto as a whole, I think that's that's less clear. Uh, I I don't think we're going to see all these tokens popping up and and getting a lot of value the way we did in, you know, that big run and early twenty eighteen or whatever.
0: Late, um, yeah, late 2017. Late twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah. I think that yep. that's probably I think not happening anytime
0: soon for sure. Yeah. That's fine. So so you got to kind of taste a little bit of fundamental, a little bit of quant. Um you were there for a few years and then you kind of moved on. Tell me why you moved on. What was the thought process of like as you were coming up thinking of like, hey, I think I want to try something new. Tell me a little bit about yeah. that whole process.
1: Yeah. So I think um for me it was it was that i'd, I'd had an interest in uh, just the early stage space for a little while at that time also so mm-hmm. uh, like i said i think the finance exposure i got you know in that first internship really opened my eyes to just like what that world kind of looks like and just how finance and, and uh, business broadly are like shaped up together but then Um, But then I kind of like paid a little bit more attention to, all right, so this new technology that I'm seeing, like how does that exist? What type of firms does it exist in? Where do those firms get their money And Like how do they fit into this like larger financial picture that I'm kind of learning more and more about bit by bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and I think I was excited about it because thinking about those problems at the early stages is like very fun. I think uh, thinking about like just new technologies, how they're gonna impact, um, you know, business and society more broadly. Um, and how firms are kind of deploying those in unique ways i think that was all very fun for me and so uh, so i was kind of like drawn to venture stuff um just early stage investing and um, was trying to learn everything about that that i could at the time and uh was starting to get involved a little bit in new york's like venture scene just like talking to alumni who are involved with it and uh, understanding how how companies get formed and i think you know i also saw potentially working with or, or starting a company at early stages as like a very exciting um potential thing that i wanted to, to explore a little bit more seriously just because you can kind of um really um i think like really get a chance to to contribute some unique value in those kinds of contexts and i think the other thing to think about is like what i've always enjoyed about uh, investing has been that you can develop some unique thesis or idea about a market or space and then go place a bet on it, right? You can find the best company or find the best trade idea and then yep. um, and then go try to execute on that in a way that you think is gonna work. But if, uh, I mean, if you really have conviction in that idea or in the evolution of some market in some way, uh, I mean, the ultimate like bet to place on it is to try to start a company. That's gonna- like,
0: so, did, did, did
1: you? Better. Did you ever start um, one? Did not start a company, um, but I mean that's something that I, I still like think about. Um, but uh, but I'm not there at this point, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I do think I think I think that's essentially what like excited me about the early stage space. And so um, so yeah, so I, I left the firm um, after a couple of years, um, and then um, initially just like took a little bit of time to work with uh, an early stage like seed fund here in New York. Um, you know, on a short term basis, um, while exploring other options. Um, and, and it was it was a positive experience. Like, I, I think I learned a lot about it, but did ultimately, I think, go back into uh, the quant space, like I said, afterwards.
0: So you were, you were kind of uh, almost like a intern for this early seed stage where you what were you doing for them just like looking at tons of deals coming across their potential deals and helping yeah
1: exactly there. exactly like it was kind of uh, it was super open-ended and I think the partners um, the partners there were great it just about bringing in like young people to get different kinds of exposure and uh, yeah and I think they um, and they also like just gave me a ton of responsibility and, um, despite my kind of like the lack of experience in and uh, venture at that time. So I got to like, they would just like dump a deal on me. It would be like, uh, you know, Hey, we need to decide whether we want to invest in our, like our prorata and this like company. Can you just like go talk to like this list of people and then come back to us. with like, what you think we should do? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I think they were, they were doing their own thinking certainly at the same time, but, uh, mm-hmm. but it was cool to have like so much influence and uh, input in the investor process there. So why not,
0: uh, why not stay there? You just felt like it was more, Were you, were you feeling like, Hey, this is just going to be repeating itself. Like I'm going to be doing the same thing over and over again. Like why?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, I think I was definitely, um, I think coming out of that, like, so that, that was designed to be a short term stint and, and like, it was small firm so they weren't trying to hire people full time, um, junior levels. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I would have been, I was definitely interested in potentially like working in venture longer. Um, and, uh, I think I was taking a pretty wide lens with my, with my search at that time, like talking to, um, other venture funds, but then also kind of like just looking opportunistically at other gigs with, um, with like startups and, um, looking opportunistically at like other inbound from, from, from quant opportunities as well, which I wish I was getting a lot of. And so, um, so, I mean, I think for me, the process came down to like, where do I think I'm getting the opportunity to work with like
0: just the most interesting team? And, uh,
1: and, and I think it happened to be with another quant opportunity. And I think that's like what, what else would have made a decision for me.
0: So, yeah, you ended up at a investment management division of a large firm yep, um, yep. and you, you could call, almost call yourself like, you know, a quant there, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, yeah, I mean,
1: you, could, you could do that. Um, you know, kind pure, of like a quant developer almost at that point. So was your
0: day to day similar than the, as the first place or were you, did you let go of the fundamental, was it now just pure quant?
1: Yeah, so I let go of the quantum fundamental, and uh, I think the other thing that was very different about the day to day was just that, um, given that this like the, given that the scale is different at a bank versus like uh, you know a, a, an asset manager, um, it's going to be like everything that we did was just much more systematized. Um, so you know it wasn't just a matter of doing some analysis and letting it live in a, in an Excel spreadsheet. It was like okay, we have to then take that and understand how we build some like really robust. Um, code that we can like plug into our whole code base and understand like make sure all the kinks are worked out in terms of how that's going to work and then also like go back and really like refactor that code and make sure everything is like done really well and and test that out and so and like all of that added time and just like a different dimension to the to the process which I think uh, which I think was really great actually I mean personally I think um, that's like how I, I think that's how firms need to approach a lot of the work that they're doing is like how do we systematize this so that we can kind of have compounding knowledge and like returns on that compounding knowledge um, and, and I think when you look at like kind of a lot of the famous funds um, like the renaissances of the world or something like that like you hear about how that's that's integral to their process it's like they have massive internal wikis where they've like documented every single like tiny tweak they've ever done on a strategy yeah. Um and so and so I mean and this isn't quite that what I'm describing, but just like any level of just like systematization and like good code practice and engineering practice, I think is like gonna be the foundation for like good business practice going forward.
0: And the a large bank, you know, a quantum large bank, what are you are you working like wasn't like all the prop stuff is gone, right? So it's not proprietary money. Yeah.
1: So yeah. What are so, you
0: what what money are you managing? Is it mostly just like market making type?
1: So we, so like I said, since I was on, uh, I was on kind of the, the investment management side, we were managing clients' money, like we had like funds and like, and you know,
0: But there were, there were specific quant funds that the clients wanted.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, and and it would be like, you know, we'd have specific strategies that we'd run and, you know, we'd pitch that to a client or something. Got it. So, um, so it was a lot of that kind of thing. And, um. Yeah, I, I guess you know, the other thing to think about just with Quant banks, and, and this gets a little bit away from like the question you just asked, but the other thing about quantitative banks is just that every part of uh, of banks is becoming more and more quant, so to speak, right? And when you look at um, a lot of the the dialogue coming out of some of these leading banks in New York now, like a lot of it is just about um, how do we how do we build businesses that are. Uh, you know, like banking as a service is like that keyword that like is being thrown out increasingly now, right? It's like, yeah. I think banks are becoming hip to the idea that um, a lot of the traditional like alphas and like, you know, idiosyncrasies and illiquidities in the market that we used to be able to capture just by virtue of our position in these markets are are kind of evaporating. And so what we need to do is Figure out like how do we provide systematic value for clients, and how do we uh, how do we make like all of the work that we've done and all the knowledge that we've accrued something that's accessible to people that they can like pay for, and then um, you know kind of layer in on top of whatever other work that they're doing and and whatever
0: other services we're providing them as clients. Yeah, I mean it's a super interesting time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's like what what's it gonna look like in ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. It's gonna be very different. I feel like yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. Um even five years, honestly. Like if you just yeah. look at what these places are doing now and just like what new businesses are being spun up, um and and uh and whatnot, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible it's just like the pace of change as like banks trying to keep up with fintech and
0: stuff like that. I know it's nuts. Probably yeah. pretty acquisitive too. I mean, a lot of them are just, t- a lot of them are just buying up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, that looks like it's going to explode. Let's get that. You know. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, buying up businesses and then uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of like proprietary, uh, like balance sheet investments that are that are coming into like early stage companies, uh, stuff like that. It's uh, it's a very like I think like fast moving space, and, and and I think some banks are doing a better job than others of like staying on top of it. But uh, what you're seeing, you're seeing, you're seeing everybody like kind of stay stay with it to some extent
0: cool so you kind of after after a stint there a little over a year you kind of spun out on your own it sounds like
1: yeah yeah so uh you know coming out of that i had uh just a couple interesting opportunities at that point I, i had kind of built like this small like little niche to some extent of like early stage investing experience even even just to a small extent combined with like some Earlier, like public markets, TMT stuff. Um, in addition to my my like quant experience and, and kind of developer experience at that point, that uh, gave me an interesting entry point to like work with some of these um, some of these earlier stage funds um, to help them figure out again ways to bring data into the investment process and thinking about how you can apply that a little bit better to both the sourcing of companies um, and also the uh, evaluation of companies for those. Uh, for those firms. So, so there was a little bit of that combined with like a couple other, like miscellaneous, um, miscellaneous, like related, related projects that I was doing for them.
0: Do you feel like a lot of the skills you're bringing is not even necessarily the data manipulation, but the actual access and where to find it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's, is it, it's, it's, it's as good as your data source, right? Like, so if you could actually get access to, um, data from I guess it's looking at problems in different ways, but let's say there's a company, a SaaS business you're looking at investing, if you could get some access to just their churn and their and mm-hmm. whatever boom yeah. you have your answer, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's tricky. I mean,
1: I think you have to be uh you have to be very creative with like how you're trying to get some of this data. And I think different approaches have taken very uh or, sorry, different firms have taken different, very different approaches. Like um like the, I think you look at social capital, which is uh, one of the bigger names in the Valley that's like kind of since had a little blow up, um, you know, late last year, but with Chamath Palihapitiya. So they, I mean, they had their- but The people
0: who don't, who aren't familiar, can you, can you give us an explanation of that?
1: Yeah. So basically, um, so Chamath was an early employee at Facebook and so he made a ton of money and uh, started doing a lot of angel investments was able to launch social capital and for a while it was like a very hot fund in the valley probably for like most of the early 2010s into mid 2010s I, I think they were just considered one of the like hottest up-and-coming venture funds in terms of like, their access and um, a lot of the early rounds rounds that they sorry rounds that they had led um, and part of their idea you know was let's try to make ourselves really accessible for entrepreneurs. Let's try to like have a spreadsheet where they can go and plug in all these numbers and say, if you're clearing these marks, like we'll have confidence with you and like, we'll be ready to write a track really quickly. Um, and um, and you know it's debatable to what extent that was like really something that served their investment process versus just kind of like window dressing to kind of okay. like get inbound deal flow from entrepreneurs and, and kind of like make a name for themselves. But but my point being that's that's a creative way to try and get um, numbers on these companies you know in the door so you can yeah. actually start to
0: figure out who you want to invest in. And you said they they ended up blowing up. They ended up making a couple guys. Yeah, out. and so
1: I think what happened is uh, Chamat who was the founder of the firm. He, he's like a very colorful guy. Like you can go watch some of his YouTube videos. They're really fun to listen to actually. Like uh, he's a very interesting guy, but he he's very opinionated. And I guess he felt like the direction of um, venture capital was like not very healthy um, for the most part. And um, his argument was basically like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, almost like a pump and dump, if you will, like venture capital, like you're putting money into the firm and you're like, you're raising the next fund based on follow-ons that you're getting from other founders, investors in the ecosystem. And like, you have all these like huge companies going bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, uh, and then, you know, to the point where like WeWork was kind of bursting into the scene with their huge late stage fund. And so I think that was kind of a big part of his narrative at the time as well. Um, and you know what he ended up doing was just like winding down the fund. He was like, we're not gonna do this anymore um, we uh, l- Like this is just kind of BS and, and I don't want to be a part of this So <laughs> just, it was
0: just a frustration out of just crazy valuations and stuff how everything is I think in his crazy. case
1: yeah, I think he was making the case that uh, yeah, that this whole ecosystem was kind of built on a house of cards like is what he was saying that uh, I mean you have all these VCs that are putting money into like SF real estate and and Google Ads and Facebook Ads and like it's just this huge closed loop where um, you know money is just like flowing into the pockets of Google and Facebook and uh, and there's not really like real value that's being created by these companies. Um, again, I'm not endorsing these beliefs necessarily. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, yeah, I hear you. It's
1: reporting to you um, <laughs> to the best of my ability, what uh, what I think a lot of these. Arguments I've are
0: I've here. heard that argument, and it's yeah. it's not necessarily that. Potentially that far from the truth. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and, and people will point
1: to time. like We Work or whatever now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but on the other hand, like I think you have to look at a lot of the successes of the silicon dot ecosystem also, right? Like there's a ton of like the Cloudflare and uh, and Datadog and like all these other companies that ipo last year also that are like great companies, Zoom, that are like doing really well. We're we're on a Zoom call right now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um great. So then now I guess what's next for you? What's the what's the plan?
1: Yeah. So for me, uh, I, you know, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm finishing this master's right now in data science where I'm getting to just like get a lot deeper into some of these skills that I've been wanting to get deeper into like taking an advanced deep learning projects class right now, like, uh, taking a, an NLP class and just like kind of learning a lot of those fundamentals. And so, um, you know, I think for me, um, the next step is like trying to, um, trying to figure out how to bring those skills to bear, um, you know, either in the public markets again, or potentially like at an interesting startup early stage company. Like I think those are, um, those are probably the two corners that I find most interesting. I think private markets are definitely interesting as well. Um, but there's just, I think there's just a lot more uncertainty around like what you're able to really achieve there and like how much value you can add um, mm-hmm. as a quant. I, I think, again, there's exciting stuff and, and, I, and I wouldn't rule that out, but, uh, but we'll see, you know, we'll see where that leads. I think for me, the, the driving principle, is really where are there um, like risk premia that there's new data that I can figure out a way to apply to capture that risk premia, right? Where, where, where is that frontier moving as data becomes more and more uh, available and as um, these problems become more and more readily solvable. So, um, so that's like continuously moving out, right? Like equities is gone, you know, fixed income is still potentially there um, yeah, yeah. and um and you know private markets are kind of an interesting place but then also you look at just what tech companies are doing like i think i think open door is a great example of like the type of idea that I'm, I'm talking about where um where you know there was never traditionally a market for um for homes right you couldn't just like go and buy single-family homes and like flip them um really easily but like open is essentially trying to be like a market maker for that in some sense right like there's a, there's a huge operational component but uh, but at its core, that's kind of the idea. And so, uh, and now there's a ton of firms that have piggybacked on that. And you can argue about whether they're really going to be able to like be a viable business and, and like capture enough margin to make that work. But, uh, but I think if you can have some sort of like unique, um, you know, data moat um, to, to kind of like fuel a really like strong position there. And like you see other interesting companies, like I could go on, but, um, but other interesting companies that are finding new ways to do that. And I think, uh, I think that's like a really exciting opportunity right
0: now. So potentially going to work for one of them, maybe. Yeah,
1: potentially going to work for one of them, um, or finding a way to try and like spin up something to to try and you know take advantage of some of that stuff.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it's fun. Any uh, any advice you'd give to your younger self, kind of looking back now, where you're at now?
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's tough. It's tough because hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you always think. Uh, Why did you do that? I mean, <laughs> if I just done that differently, or the, or something else differently. But uh, I mean, you never know how things are going to play out necessarily. But with that said, like um, probably the, I would say try to try to have stronger mentors, you know, sooner. I think that's probably one thing that, um, that I, that I try to work on. Like, I always feel like, you know, I can figure stuff out and I'm really excited to get going and like dive into something on my own. There's a lot of great resources today that, that like help you do that. But, uh, but I think, um, talking to people that have like just been there and see more things than you, um, just opens your eyes way faster. Right. And I think, a lot of the things that I learned, I probably could have learned faster, and uh, and probably benefited from just like having people uh, that I that I was talking to about those at, at earlier stages.
0: Yeah, you could skip a lot of the pain of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or at least accelerate accelerate the the learning curve or you know flatten the learning curve. Yeah, long.
1: yeah, and so I guess yeah, by the time uh, by the time you're old enough to realize you should listen to older people, it's like. <laughs>
0: Hey, I got the gray beard, man. You got to listen to me now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm
1: here for your wisdom.
0: Well, Arjun, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thanks
0: for having me on. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.